Hi, I'm Aaron and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, where we explore, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I'll be interviewing the best artists in the game while also taking some time to appreciate some new and classic albums. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming news and guests. Also, don't forget to check out my new Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle that will give you exclusive content and help me keep the show running and getting better. All right, let's get into it. All righty. Well, welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I've got uh, my first Aussie guest ever on the show and we're, we're going down. It's 70 plus and it's my first Aussie Aussie guests, so managed to survive thus far, but uh, it's optimistic. So optimistic uh, is one of the great talents coming out at you in WA, if I'm not mistaken as well. Um, so if you haven't heard of him, definitely check him out on Spotify. He's collabed with literally uh, some of the greats of hip hop. Uh, to be honest, I looked at the list in terms of who you collaborated with and I'm just blown away. Cannabis, Cappadonna, uh, MOP, Sticky Fingers, the list literally goes on and on. Method Man, Red Man. I mean, for you, because like I look at this and I'm like, I couldn't even imagine getting that list under my belt. But how do you look back and and kind of reflect on your journey thus far and how, you know, humble guy from AU has managed to connect with all these legends of hip hop? It, it, it's absolutely crazy, Azza. Um I remember a few years back when I was doing my solo back when I was living in Sydney for a while. And uh, I remember a friend of mine telling me that going, man, you should get Onyx and all these dudes on your album. And I remember just laughing at him going, bro, that's never going to happen. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's, it's unheard of. And it didn't. And um, yeah. And then years later down, I look at the, you know, the resume and like you said, it's, it's a plethora of OG legends, which has just been a dream for someone like myself. Um, any hip hop artist in Australia that's grown up listening to these guys knows how awesome it is, you know, or what a, what a blessing it would be. So it's been crazy, man. Um, the way it kicked off originally was actually from speech from Arrested Development, who I got to meet in person. He ended up being the first artist and band I ever seen as a kid back in 1992 live, which was pretty out there as well. Um, but he came to Sydney when I was walk, working for a label and I got to A&R speech and drive him around everywhere. This was back in 2005 or six, I think that was. So how old were you and, when you uh, saw the concert? What's that? How old were you when you first saw him live? Oh, Arrested Element. I must have been 11 years old or something like that. Right. I would have been about 11 years old. Awesome. Yeah, 11, I'll let you continue with the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so just a young kid. Um, they were my favorite bands growing up. So yeah, my big brother took me to the concert uh, when they came to they came to Perth the first time. Um, so that was awesome, man. And then yeah, while he was there, I was working on my first solo album, Revamp, and he jumped on. And that was the first time that made me feel, you know, the comfortability of you know someone from the states working with um yeah just a random hip hop artist from Australia. It was pretty crazy. And from there, I decided to just progress with that. And I just would get in contact with these artists any way I could through emails, through Facebook, through messages, and just trying to make a rapport with them, um, send them my work and try to build it. Uh, it got easier as time went on because each artist would vouch for the next artist. So if 
someone like Crazy Drace and Dust Effects heard I did a song with Sticky Fingers from Onyx, that already gave it a bit of the, the stamp of a, or tick of approval. So that definitely, you know, because they're all networked and know each other, especially the New York side, you know, they're all, they know each other in the scene. So it definitely got easier as it went on. Um, sometimes I'd get contacts from the other artists who were friends with these artists, you know, so that would be a way I'd find networks or get straight to management or straight to the artists themselves. And now, man, I, I, I've lost count of it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like possibly even in the 30s now of some of these um, dudes that I was inspired by growing up and have been able to collaborate and work on songs, which has probably been the biggest dream for me in music is just to make music with these guys. So looking back on it, man, I'm flabbergasted and I'm, I'm really stoked with it. Well, I mean, the the way I found found out about you was through someone you've collaborated with and someone I had on the show, Sick Flow. So the irony is that an Aussie hip-hop artist got in touch with an American hip-hop artist and I'm an Aussie podcaster and I happened to interview him only to connect with an Aussie anyway. So the <laughs> it, it works in roundabout ways. But, I mean, you know, how did, in terms of for you, because you know, the Aussie accent is so strong and I've commented on the Aussie accent in hip hop, but how do these artists react to, you know, the way you're delivering bars? Because it is so different to what they would have grown up listening to and everyone they've collaborated with really. I don't know, man. I haven't really had anyone really specify or get into that topic with me at all. Like I've never really had them say anything about it. I think just where hip hop is at at the moment, um, on that, well, you know, how big it's gotten that we've even got our own scene down here, which is called Aussie hip hop, which is crazy. But um, I think that's all it is now. I think it's just because it's so big now. And I'm sure they've done songs with dudes from from Greece or Japan or wherever, you know what I mean? So because so, it's got so big and technology and we can connect with people instead of having to see them face to face instantly and try to make that rapport, I think it's just... Yeah, they've accepted it that way. And I guess if they like your shit, they like it. Like Sticky Finger said, he goes, I fuck with your shit, Optimist. He, he likes the shit. <laughs> and then Sticky Fingers can be more opposite from each other in type, <laughs> type of people, you know. He's a, he's one badass MC. And um, personally, probably my favourite MC that I grew up, which is crazy, being optimistic and all. But I love Onyx. I love their energy. I just love that, that style they delivered when I was younger. And I, I've stuck with it. So... Yeah, I still love that rawness in hip-hop. I love hearing artists such as your Sticky Fingers, your Method Man, your Red Man. Um, but then all the way back to Speech from Arrested Development or Chuck D from Public Enemy, you know, I kind of, it all works, man. A bit of light and dark and it all makes the makes the one whole type of thing, you know. Let me ask you this. How was it like being a hip-hop head early in your life? Because I think the, and from my perspective personally, hip hop hasn't didn't get so big until you know in the 2000s like i don't remember even when i was in high school and i was in i graduated 2011 and i just remember being the one kid who was really into hip hop but how do you remember kind of your growing up and falling in love with the music and then you know other people around you and kind of how school was all that kind of atmosphere man i feel like you you know exactly yeah, I feel like we've walked similar paths there, definitely what you're saying, man. I was definitely one of the one of the minorities, um, especially as a young kid. In uh, I grew up in a little bush town called Cambelda, which is about 40 minutes drive away from Kalgoorlie, a little mining town. 
and my father was a drummer, so he got me into drums music. And I just fell in love with this hip-hop in the late 80s. So it was the late 80s, I got my first vinyl and stuff, and, you know, Beastie Boys were out, Public Enemy was out. Um, my cousin was giving me stuff. He was in the city. He was leaking it. But for some reason, I just got attached to it, and I always have been. I just hooked onto it, and I've loved it ever since. Um, then moved out to, to the coastal area of Rockingham, uh, south of, of Perth, and went to high school there. Now, the high school was dominant, you know, your grunge and your bogan and your rock. That was definitely heavy there. Um, I probably had a friend or two who had it, and we were that minority, same as yourself. Like, no one was really listening to it. And then what changed it big time was Eminem. Eminem changed Australian hip-hop massively. It went massive. Then I had a lot of my mates getting into M. You know, all my metal mates, because they loved it. They loved the humour of him, the comedy, all that slim shady stuff that came out. So I feel Eminem did a massive, a massive thing. And that, I guess, spread them into other hip-hop. Apart from myself, you know, I had these rock and bogan dudes loving bloody Onyx. Bumping <laughs> <laughs> Onyx around <laughs> stuff, you know, which could be more street New York kind of kind of boom-bap hip-hop coming out. So... Yeah, it was definitely different, man. We played a lot of shows as kids. We would gig. We'd be at, we'd be those dudes at the parties, the backyard parties, freestyling before you had, you know, every cat and his dog was an MC spitting. So, yeah, it was very different, man. And it was, it was good to see the scene bloom. And then, you know, even seeing the Aussie hip-hop scene bloom was crazy. You know, when Downside really started taking off because I was on that same era kind of where Downside was kicking in Perth. And then you had the SBX crew coming through, you know, then, of course, you had your big ones, all your Hilltop Hoods and your Bliss and Essos taken over. And it just, that genre, Aussie hip-hop, became so big. And I still find it weird to say that because I always thought hip-hop was hip-hop. You know, that's where I came from. But we kind of created this um, niche sort of style to Aussie. And now I know there's younger kids who only listen to Aussie hip-hop. You know, that's, that's what they say. They only listen to Aussie hip-hop. They won't listen to hip-hop. So, which I find is a bit sacrilegious. Um, I agree. As well. <laughs> well, I mean, because the, the interesting, because like you, uh, you're like, I finished school a little bit later than you, but in terms of for my hip hop journey, Get Rich or Die Trying was the first album I ever heard. That was 2003. So for right. me, that was like my start of hip hop love. But Eminem by that point had obviously released music and then for my kind of age demographic, he started to get a little bit of corny, if that makes sense. Like yeah. he was already yeah, yeah, popular. So he was already popular. That. And then that wave didn't get any new hip hop, like 50 Cent, Eminem, Dr. Dre, everyone was aware, but then they kind of stopped caring after a while. So that, you know, lift that hit me, that hit you. It didn't hit people you know, in my school and, and they, I remember them going, turn this shit off. Like, you know, what do you want to listen to? And I'm like, you know what I want to listen to it's hip hop. That's what I've been listening to for my entire life. But I think now social media has been the real kind of kick like TikTok, you know, IG, they've been using hip hop beats to promote everything. And now I can even hear on the radio because like when I was growing up, no hip hop on the radio. Whereas now they're starting to filter it through. And I remember interviewing people and they were like, can't believe it. You don't hear it in shopping malls. You don't hear it anywhere. And now it's starting to, I feel like, become in the mainstream and really taken over. It did, man. And hip hop got its claws into all genres of music, you know. 
with the collaboration through your pop, through your rock, through your blues, you know, the crossover became so big, you know, especially with the old Aerosmith and Run DMC, the, that kind of kickoff where it started. And now, you know, you get rappers into all sorts of different bands and different bands, you know, networking and mixing with rappers from all different genres. And I find that hip hop does that, man, you know. Well, I guess that's where it came from, you know. It came from your sampling aspect of your blues and your roots and all that R&B stuff. So, yeah, it's an awesome culture, man. And it did. It got into everywhere. It literally is, you know, because it's the cool shit, man. All the, they, they knew it. They all wanted to get a piece of it. <laughs> they all, you know, even Blondie, the rapture from whatever year, year that came out, you know, she wanted a piece of it, man. She was seeing these kids in the streets of New York doing this shit called hip-hop rap and, you know, it just it spread, man. It was the it was the cool thing that was going on. Well, what do you think it is for you that kind of captured your imagination? Because like it's such an out there genre to like jump into as a kid, especially when your parents aren't into it, when you don't really have like a huge exposure to it. But what was it that was like, you know, click of the fingers and this is my path? Like I'm obsessed with this now. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. Crazy. I guess I learned the drums young. So the drums were the first thing from my dad. He was a drummer um, doing rock bands, a lot of cover band gigs he was playing around. So I don't know, maybe I wasn't a big guitar person as such. So maybe the, you know, the beat, they're all a lot more beat influence, you know, the music's a lot more drums, fat drums and stuff. And then the rhyming, man, I guess that was just so cool. It wasn't the singing. It was just the the spitting the bars and the rhyming and the Run DMC and Public Enemy and that coming out and EPMD. And then, of course, as a kid, the you know, you had the curse inside, the, the naughty music. You know, you had your <laughs> two live crew, which were sneaking in and trying to get the tapes, the cassette tapes, our parents, you know, hide them away so our parents wouldn't break them and stuff. And NWA, you know, it was like, whoa, these people are – saying some serious shit. And when you're a little kid hearing that, man, it's, it was crazy, you know? So even that rebellious uh, side of the music would definitely have an influence on um, the naughty the naughty side of the kid. <laughs> you know, well, so, the funny thing is yeah. that, like, you don't really understand the music until you get older because you'll hear, you, you like, you get the feeling and you get kind of the swearing, like the the fuck bitch, all that stuff. You know, they're saying the N word, which obviously we can't say, but it feels, is there's something about like the music that gives you some, like it's an entry into a different world. Like it's a world that we don't have access to and you don't even yeah. understand it. And then later on, when you get into it, you're like, I've been listening to this song for years and I never understood what it was about. And now that I can actually decipher what the rhymes mean, like, uh, and and the phrasing and the bars, it adds so much more depth to it. Definitely, man. And and just the length of it to write a rap song as opposed to a normal song. You know, lyrically, some song might be like this, and then you got a rap song that's bloody. You know, if you twist her, it's up here, whatever. You know, legit. You took that crazy the words lyrically. out of my mouth. That Twister's songs have to be the longest because he doesn't, he can't take his time. So I feel bad <laughs> for him, but. <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy. And I love, you know, rhythmical poetry, man. It's beautiful. And it's, it's, it's expression of the heart, the soul. It's like you said, like some NWA songs, the curse and that. But when you got older and realized that real fighting the power against the man and it was serious shit, you know, they were really going through serious shit and they were, they'll stand it up and speaking up with the freedom of speech. And that makes the music more powerful, more, 
more want, you know, you just want it. You want to hear it. You want to taste it. Like you said, you want to feel it. It's a different world. It's a different vibe. And yeah, man, I, I got into it. And then of course, hip hop breaks into so many different aspects and styles, you know, back in those nineties, man, all these different dudes coming up with different styles and flavors. And it's awesome, man. It's just such a cool genre of music. And I just, I don't know what my world would have been like without it. What I kind of would have got into if I didn't get so strongly into hip hop. So do you think that it was the, you've always had a musical element to who you are as a person, like obviously drums and then hip hop was an avenue that you would go down. Do you think that if it wasn't hip hop, it would be something else musical or do you think you'd go completely different? Nah, I feel definitely I would do music exactly because I mean, the drums, I love them as a kid getting up. Um, I kind of kicked myself. I didn't learn the guitar and stuff as a younger person. Um, I can't sing for shit. That's for sure. <laughs> I know I'm tone deaf and I can't sing for shit, but I can write, you know, I write a lot of my hooks and choruses and stuff. Um, and I love working with bands. I've been in live bands that I've, I've made albums that no one would have even heard um, that I've got stashed away. So I've always worked with different type of musos, whether they've been opera singers, uh, guitarists, bloody, what else we work with? Um, yeah, heavy metal, bloody drummers, rockers, singers, all sorts. I've always met musos and it's always been what I've networked the best with or had a connection with, you know? So I yes, the answer would be yes. I definitely feel I would be doing some music thing, whether it was just poetry or something, you know what I mean? Well, let me say thank you for not singing your hooks because <laughs> there are so many rappers who feel the need to sing their hooks, even though they can't sing. And I don't know what it is. Like there's no one there to be like, don't do it. Just don't do it. Even though they're fantastic, just someone needs to be like, this is the one thing you're not good at. But, yeah, I appreciate that you don't do that. <laughs> Tell you what, though, Dakota, man, I could do it now. I could pitch shift everything and make it sound like a robot. And, oh, can't stand that shit, eh? I really can't. I can't stand that shit at all. Well, I was speaking to a producer, Young World, and he said that the problem with it is people just think they switch it on and then – they still sound shit, but they is because they don't know how to sing. And the whole point of the auto tune and, and having those effects is so that you still know how to use your voice so that it doesn't sound like it's there. Like T-Pain is the best at it. Like he has such yeah. a fantastic voice that you almost don't notice it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, no, no. It was one of those eras that really pulled me out when that started happening. You know, I was just like, all this auto tune, and then just all the music when it starts sounding a bit too robotic and metallic in it and loses all the soul and raw. And I just, yeah. But you're right, there is definitely songs that I have heard and it doesn't bother me. So maybe what you're saying is exactly what's happening, where it's um still a bit more natural and they can sing and it doesn't sound as um as prominent and killing the soul out of it. Well, let me ask you this then. How are you currently feeling about hip hop where it's at right now? Obviously you know, in terms of where it's going as a culture, Aussie hip hop is exploding. We've got, you know, for the first time, really mainstream artists being big in the U S we've got, uh, you know, the, the exposure to hip hop in general. And I feel like there's more artists than ever, but how are you feeling about the type of music that's being produced? I think I go, I go two sides with it all the time. I get a side of me that gets angry and goes, you know, fuck all this, what they're doing, they're killing it, and this happened, you know, blah, 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 the new stuff, the trap, the mumble rap, and all that side of it. 
And then I think when I do that, I get clouded and then I'm not looking into all the good stuff that's coming through because there's definitely a lot of beautiful stuff as well that's coming through and these underground artists that aren't getting their proper shine. Um, so I do feel a bit disappointed in uh, some of the stuff that's made it to the mainstream and is kind of polluting the airwaves in a way. You know, it's not kind of the, the good hip hop that is available and that should be getting out there. Um, and at the same time, I've kind of eased off on that and just, I guess I don't pay attention to it. The more I don't pay attention to it, put my energy into it, it doesn't affect me. I just focus on the good stuff, the the real essence and the elements that have always been there. Um, seeing the Australian scene blow up is is awesome. You know, when you go to a gig where, I mean, fuck, what's a band? What's a big band? I mean, even Wu-Tang. I don't know if I'm going too far with that, but you might go to a Wu-Tang concert in Australia and it's it's pretty packed. And then you go to a Hilltop Hoods concert at the Horton Pavilion or something and it's packed. And that's that's awesome. That is that is fucking awesome. You know, that's like, wow, man, like we got to that level. You know, I mean, seeing the hoods at little pubs here in Perth when it was just, it was the hip hop scene. There was only, you know, <laughs> there was only a little handful of mates and everyone who loved hip hop going. And now to have dudes like Bliss and Essa and the hoods and that rocking out stadiums, that's cool, man. That's That gives Australia a big tick and a big thumbs up. You know, that's that's awesome. So I think there's awesome music that's out there. I think there's really good hip hop, but the state of it, like, when I flew to the States, to America, to shoot those video clips when I was out there, um, and I was in the car with uh, Chip Fu from the Fushnickens, and I said, dude, just play me some, you know, there must be heaps of dope radio station hip-hop, man, and everything it was putting on was just all this, it was mumble rap, it was like trappy crap, it was just, you know, I don't want to say all traps, some traps cool, but it was just weird, man, it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. I was expecting just classics coming out, and it just wasn't there. And Chip was like, nah, man, this is what it's like over here now. And that was sad. So that side of me gets pissed off. And then, you know, the, the OGs aren't getting the respect they deserve and pushed up. But, yeah, it's weird, man. It's a weird state we're in now. There's good stuff and there's a lot of bad stuff happening with it. But I think that's that's the times. Our era's getting older. <laughs> the new era's coming through, man. Maybe the next gen, you know, they'll they'll look back at one stage and go, man, this stuff was way better. What were we doing? Yeah, when they grow up and they understand what the songs are about and comprehending the music. I feel that. Like, I feel like when my kid gets older, like he's only seven months now, but I feel like I can't wait to show him some, some you know, some artifacts or Wu-Tang or bloody The Roots and just go, check out this, son. <laughs> you know, play this. and <laughs> You're five years old and it, check it out. <laughs> yeah, I do, man. He's three. I'm going to get, yeah, he's going to be onto it early. Whether he likes it or not, I don't know, man, but he'll be on it early. The the fear would be that you're, you're like the dad who's like, check out my old school music and either <laughs> he'll really gravitate towards it or he'll be like, come on, dad, like enough. I want to listen to whoever's popular, you know, when he's growing up. But yeah. I mean, from my perspective, it's like we're in, I think the challenge is there's not enough people differentiating themselves from the majority. So there's like a general sound that everyone can use because like creating beats is really easy these days. You can just download it to your computer. You just chuck it on. Anyone can make a beat. Um, and the true artists now are the ones who are doing interesting things with their yeah. beats, with their voices, with their flows and like, I think the challenge is as a young artist is not getting stuck 
into what's popular and doing what suits you the best. If you've got a fantastic yeah. voice, if you write fantastic lyrics, do that. Don't get stuck in the trap of just making trappy songs. And I think a lot of artists get stuck in there and then they never make it because they haven't stuck true to themselves. So I think that's kind of the challenge of artists right now. That's right, bro. They're, they're, going, they're just following the game and the trend. And like, that's it. Once that trend dies, so does that whole career type of thing, you know, the whole thing. And it also shows what you're in it for. It depends what you're in it for. Like I never, I don't want to sound like that dude that says like, you know, uh, but you know, I never wanted the career as such. I love making music and stuff, but you know, I'm not making shitloads of cash out of it or anything like that. But the, the soul fulfillment that I'm making out of it is, is, is extreme. It's beyond, you know, it's the bucket list are huge. So for me, I've always felt like I've kept true to my passions and my dreams where some people who do music, you know, they might try. I've seen kids, young dudes, like singers and doing stuff. And they're like, man, they tried for a year or two. And they're like, oh, we're never going to make it. And it's like, dude, it's not about making it, man. Just, just create it. Enjoy, enjoy making it. Don't, yeah. Don't try to do it to get on Triple J or to, to make the big hits and stuff. Just make music because you're passionate about it and it feels good to do it, you know? Don't just follow the game or follow a trend that, like you said, that could crumble and then it's all over as well, you know? Well, I think also, like, it's very few people who drop an album and it's huge because mm. realistically you haven't got the time of learning your craft, especially hip hop, because it's such a complicated genre and people who don't listen to it think it's simple, but it's really complex and there's a lot that goes into it. But if you want to make it big, you've got to put hours into your craft. I have no problem with people wanting to make money. I have a problem with people wanting to thinking that they'll drop, you know, five singles and then it'll get picked up and then they're going to make, you know, a million dollars and then the next Drake. That's not how it That's works. True. Drake released so many mixtapes before he became Drake. He worked so hard, you know, Jay-Z, Kanye, they all worked incredibly hard before they became who they are. So that one year fantasy is pretty much that a fantasy. I think Mac Miller is like the only one who literally dropped one album became huge, but everybody else was working at it for a long, long time. You know, I've read, I've listened to 50 cents audiobook. you know, his first album went huge, but he got shot. You know, he had a mixtape. He got dropped from his label. He had all these things go wrong. So if you're not willing to grind it out, you're not really going to earn the career in the long, in the long game. And that's what it's all about. Pay your dues. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Pay your dues, man, and earn it. Don't just have some rich bastard funding it and get, yeah, exactly. Pay your dues and earn your keep as a real artist. That's what it is. And you will, and you 100% will make money eventually. It's, it's time and consistency. And, you know, something I wondered about you was when you started making music as a hip hop artist and when you went, you know, when you were like, this is what I want to do, how were the people around you? What was that kind of reaction like? As in family, friends, everyone or? Yeah. What do you, I don't know, everyone, I'm, they just did, man. I was, I was that dude that was doing hip hop. I didn't really have any issues. I had met a lot of cool people and a lot of cool friends. That's what it really did, man. The networking and people I've met through my life through music has been amazing. I mean, me talking to you right now is because of music. You know, it's always had this 
this awesome higher power of connecting. But I mean, my old man was always like, get a trade, Matthew, get a trade, <laughs> work. which I must admit, I am kind of spewing. I didn't have a trade as a background and did music because I've always held down a job. I've always held down a job and I've always done music on the, you know, that's been my side thing I've always done. Although I've always been an MC for life and really the job was just paying my ways to get through life and, you know, make my CDs and albums and studio time or whatever I had. I've always had to grind and work hard to pay for everything I've done. I've never had anyone else to pay for that. There was no big fundings except for my sweat, blood and tears. Um, you know, but there's other friends or some people, you know, you'd meet a person here or there, which is always, oh, you're not on Triple J. Oh, you're not doing this. Oh, what are you doing it for? And they just don't understand the real the real drive, you know. They, they think it's there because I'm trying to, because I want fame and fucking money or some crap. And it's like, mate, it's not, not about that. It's just I like to do it and it makes my life seem to have purpose and and yeah, it's fulfilling for me, man. I love making something out of nothing. So, you know, when you start a track, I've had songs that I've, I've created over shit, a day or two we've done stuff. I've had songs that have taken years because I've had a concept, but I was too young to get to get it all out. But I knew that's what I wanted. And then years later, the timing was right. I had that hook that I wrote. And I was like, oh, man, that seed's been planted. It's growing. And now I can write about it, you know? So yeah, man. I mean, most people were supportive. Most of my family and friends have always been really cool. And all the people I've met along the way have been awesome. You know, whether it's been a positive or negative reaction, I guess, yeah, everything adds up, you know, it all plays to the bigger part. So I didn't have too many dramas with it, man. I never really had too many dramas except some dudes maybe in high, you know, how it was in high school. Whoa, you're following all that rat crap, you know, <laughs> giving that type of shit which I kind of used in that. Uh, did you listen to the intro of Salty Waters too? Yeah, I did. Did you get Yeah. Did you get through that whole you know, the fit? Yeah, that rap crap shit, you know, that kind of, that bogarty vibe. So you know? Aussie. I, I, so Yeah, that was there, you know. <laughs> that, that was a little bit there, you know. So that was around a little bit, but nothing major, man. Nothing major that ever steered me off or could steer me off, you know. So, and I think, I think that passion always shined through, man. I don't think anyone was going to try us trying to stop me from what I was doing anyway you know I was too addicted to it do you ever think that like making music is your therapy because it feels that way like when I listen to your music I can there are definitely like there's definitely moods that that you're in like you're either you know just going for it and then there are like kind of connections to the inner soul where like you're reflective but do you feel like it's a therapy that that you use to kind of you know just kind of get your thoughts all together definitely man definitely it's vibrational medicine and speaking on a higher thing like sometimes when i write raps it's weird man like i feel like you're writing them to yourself as well sometimes like sometimes it's like i feel and when i listen to other people's songs it feels like they're they're attacking it sounds like they're attacking other people but really it's almost like they're telling themselves it's kind of strange it's like this mirror this mirror effect feeling which sometimes happens um whether it's true or not, I'm just going cuckoo. I don't know. But I do kind of hear that sometimes. And I definitely feel that happens with me. I know it's more me talking to myself when I'm writing, you know, um, and not so much going for anybody else. Um, so I try to be very conscious of that these days, especially getting older. But vibrational medicine through music, 100%, bro. Like I 100% believe music heals and helps. 
um, whether you're releasing your angst, whether you're releasing a beautiful love song or, or emotional, sad song, whatever, man, it definitely helps release stored up energy, which will then help with dis-ease. Get rid of the disease or dis-ease out of your vibes and you'll definitely feel lighter, you'll feel better within yourself. So, yeah, I think a lot of people do that in their, their own way, sport, meditation, fighting, music, whatever it is, you know. Everyone has their own way of kind of um, releasing disease. Well, I think music is a huge part in most people's lives. Whether you actively create it or listen to it, like 99% of people listen to music when they go into the gym. Most people listen to music when they're in the car. You know, when they're at a party, it's music that's playing. So it does create this atmosphere and it does create this feeling that you can't really describe and my brother asked me the other day, if you could get rid of one, and I love sport. He said, if you get rid of one, music or sport, what would you get rid of? And it would be sport, hands down, because I think music is, and like I'll talk about sport all day. I could start a sporting podcast, but I think music does more for people. And I think it has so much that is like unexplained and untapped, but yeah, can't live without music. It's the it's the ultimate drug. That's what I said. It's very it's a very addictive thing. Like music and the sound, the vibes. You know, even people dancing. You know, it makes people move and dance. You know, the the magic behind it is is amazing, right? It's just this thing that makes vibrations, and I guess we're all vibrating molecules. So the sounds come through us, and we feel it. It makes us dance, makes us move, makes us feel stuff that we can't relate. You know, I've, I've you have music that makes you angry. I have songs that make me cry, whether I'm sad or super happy. You know, I'm that dude that, you know, you get super happy and tears start pouring out because it's just you're so connected to the to the source or <laughs> whatever it is. You know, it's just I love I love it for all its magic that it does. Cannot agree more. Actually, something I wanted to ask you about, and I kind of stored in the back of my mind, was about Method Man, Red Man, and Capadonna. Like I mean, people from Wu-Tang and obviously some absolute legends that people recognize outside of hip-hop. You know, Method Man became an actor as well in The Wire and has done other things. But how did that come about and what was that experience like? Are you talking about Meth in particular or anyone? Uh, well, let's start with Meth. And then if we have time, we can go through the others. Well, Meth, meth was absolutely the hardest artist I've ever been able to work with. One, he was one artist I wasn't able to connect with personally. It came about through another person, uh, one of his boys. Um, I would be careful what I say. I don't want to say too much about other names and stuff. Anyway, that one actually went around through a different way. And because I was working with another person that was working with him. And when we were having a convert, like a video conversation like this, when we we're working on our song, he just said, oh, Mef's coming in the studio today. And I said, oh, and I joked with him. I said, yeah, man, get him on the hook. That'd be fantastic. And then that's where it all changed. He was like, oh, you want it, blah, blah, blah. You want to get meth? And I was like, well, yeah, man, I'm a hip-hop fanatic. Of course I do. Um, so that started off. And then the money came in. And, you know, to get meth was something ridiculous. I remember chasing years ago looking for it. I think someone was asking 20K USD or something. You know what I mean? Something just out of our world, man, especially from Australia. Anyway, we got... I got the option where it became a very a, a very doable amount, you know, in my world. 
I won't speak numbers as well because that's all business and private. But yeah, it was a, it was a lot different, a lot different, and um, offered it to a couple of friends. That was all the friends on it. I had my man Beat Smith on production. I got my man JR from the Protectors, one of my close friends, and Bertie Anderson. So it was four of us all up. We split the track four ways. You know, who wants to who wants to do a song with Meth? You know, who wants to do a song with Meth? Yes, 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 yes. Bang. Here you go. Chip in just a couple of bucks each and we can make it happen. And it did within a matter of, you know, I think it was less than a week. It all went down and happened. So that was pretty cool. That was actually really cool. But um, that, like I said, that one wasn't a personal one. So that one was a bit more went around the scenes and happened through a bit of management and stuff like that. But it was amazing. I can't, I can't thank that enough. With our Red Man, I actually got to speak to him directly and talk with him. And at the time, he didn't want to do features because he was working on Muddy Waters 2. And he was like, Maddie, I'm just, I want to focus. He's putting all his energy into his album. So he let me do the skit. So he gave me the private message for the skit. So that was wicked. So having a private little message from Red, I was like, dude, this is dope. I'm happy with that, man. And he didn't even, to be honest, he didn't even really charge me. <laughs> it was just this cool little thing that happened. He knew I was a fan and a fanatic on it, and he just gave me a little blessing, you know. And I've actually got a video of that too, which the video, the new music video for I'm on Fire um, featuring Big Rock from Elder Skelter and Mike Hands is dropping, and I've got a little a little red man fucking thing in there as well because he's such a champion. So that's pretty cool, man. That should hopefully be dropping on the 11th of November and probably the last last big video off this album, I think. I think. I say that every time. Every time I say it's my last album or something, and then I'm already balls deep in the next thing. So <laughs> I don't know. Man. I think every artist does that. They're like, no, nah, I'm not releasing music. And then you stop. And then there, there's something in the back of your mind that's like, I got to do something else. I got to do something else. And you just, you just have to. But I mean, the, like when you say you got to speak to Redman, like as someone who talks to rappers, it's, it's like a, I can't even fathom that kind of discussion. Like, you know, it's, it's almost in a way. And, you know, I, I sometimes think if I was in that position, I think I'd struggle to speak. I'd just be, I'd need like 10 minutes to just realize where I am. And then realize that, you know, this is happening. But I mean, yeah, it, it's crazy. Like I'm I'm blown away right now and I didn't even experience it. Man, what was, it is, man. And I've had dudes, other dudes who just, you know, once I reached out, they're like, call me. And they just give me their number. Or it would be a video cat. Bang, what's your thing? Bang. Because they want to, you know, we're making a business transaction as well. And if they're going to put their creative space, they want to know who you are. They want to know if you're up to par. And if you're serious, so it'd be talking, they're sussing you out, how much you know your hip hop, how much you know them. And it'd be cool. We'd be like, yep, send the track, send the beat. And every time, only a couple of artists have I not, you know, got back what I was looking for or whether it was even them sometimes I was talking to. I don't know. You know, there's one or two artists there that I've had that. But the craziest experience was really when I flew to New York. I flew there for like four days. I flew home the fourth day because I was doing FIFO at the time. And I had my seven-day break, and I was able to fly there and shoot three music videos. So I landed there at 11 p.m. one night after a 28-fucking-hour flight, trying to sleep in this Queen's Hotel, woke up at 6 a.m. too excited and stuff, to have Chip Fu pick me up in his fucking big-ass car, drive me out to Brooklyn where we picked up 
Afal Ra. So he jumped in the car. So now I'm in the car with these two dudes. And then we cruise off back into, um, oh, where was it? Flatbush. So still in Broadway, in Flatbush. And that's where Do It All from Lords of the Underground's there. So first day, I've got three dudes that I've fucking admired all. And we're just having lunch together. We go pick up lunch and we're just sitting at Chip Foo's sister's house with me and my camera guy. That's it. You know, flew over from Australia. And we're just having this awesome, man, the conversations we're having then. And just being that one-on-one time and just knowing not was what was going to happen. I thought I was going to go to America and just get fucking shot, you know. Like, <laughs> I'd never been to the States before. And, you know, that was cool. We, and then we shot the music video. Um, Chip Vu took me out to this awesome cigar sports bar thing where they smoke all cigars and they watch all your sport. You would have loved it, bro. The sport, <laughs> it was just sports everywhere on the screen. And and they, they, were loving, they were lovely, man. Everyone was love. And then got home, woke up the next morning, to meet Big Rock from Helter Skelter in, um, uh, where was that, Crown Heights, man. Like, Sean P had only just passed away about a month before, man. So Rock was still, he was talking a lot about P. And, but he was so awesome, man. He was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just flown over. I just want to shoot this video with you. And it was meant to be him and Mr. Cheeks from the Lost Boys. Cheeks had gone off the radar. So Rock's on the phone. He's like, yep, I've got him coming. We're cool jump in my car and we'll go to um, Brownsville, man. He took me into the hood, into Brownsville, you know, like into the hood, man. You don't just, everything yeah, you don't you just hear. walk into. Yeah, everything you hear. <laughs> like, and for, for those who might be listening to him who aren't familiar, like that is a neighborhood that he's talked about a lot in hip hop. Yeah. Like they it's always crazy. talk about it. So for, yeah. for us to office, for an Aussie to go and to go to a neighborhood that is notoriously uh, an unsafe to place to be, especially if you don't know your way around that scene. Uh, I can only imagine the heart rate just goes up. Man, it was it was Bucktown as well. It was too. It was it was the whole Ducktown era. Like we're standing there on the block, so we get out the car, and he goes, "Mystic, this is my hood. You're safe with me. Do not wander off." <laughs> so he says, "Fuck a, I'll fucking I'm right here." Rock. So anyway. Rolling spliffs, having drinks, we're on the block. That's Smith and Wesson's apartment or place. This over here is where OGC is. Sean P was living up there. This is thing, and we're in the hood. Next minute, this car comes around the corner, bumping beats, and Mr. Cheeks jumps out with his boys. So they got the Lost Boys and bloody Helter Skelter boys there. We shoot a video in Brownsville, and then Cheeks goes, come on, man, we'll go back to my studio in Queens. So next minute we drive for another hour. We end up in the studio in Queens where they are shooting the video. So yeah, that night was awesome, man. And if you haven't seen that video, Rock on All Levels is the name of it, man. Optimus Rock, and you'll see that shit as this night of this blood uh, blood moon, one in twenty five years or two hundred fifty years. I can't remember. I just had this beautiful lighting, man. It was such a magical night and so full on. But I got smashed. I was so I was so sore the next day, man. And uh, they yeah, they didn't get me back to my hotel till some ridiculous hour, five a.m., six a.m. And then I had to be up to meet Keith Murray from Death Squad. And we ran into it was all through Times Square, man. I was like, I was meant to meet him earlier in the day, but I was so hungover. I was like, man, can you we just do Times Square at the night? And he's all cool with it. And he met me at Times Square at six or seven a.m. And we just ran around Times Square, jumping into bars and in the streets and having a ball. And then I jumped on the plane that next straight away that next morning and flew back. And it was just it was just over, you know, it was this whirlwind trip. And I was just like, man, did that just fucking happen? 
I just it fucking go like to New dream. York and meet these dudes one on one, and they escorted me around the hoods, and oh, it was crazy. As it was, it was so, so crazy. And then when we got back, and we started editing the videos. You know, all the the little behind the scenes stuff that only I own. You know, no one else has got it. You know, all the cool little shit, man. Yeah, best bloody holiday music video thing I could ever ever think of for a hip hop fanatic. Anyway, it was cool. It sounds like a dream come true honestly four days as well that is such a short period of time to literally three days i flew down flew home on the fourth day man it was just video 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 fly <laughs> so you know i wasn't even over my jet lag yet it was just it was just adrenaline keeping me going you know well but it worked out it i mean it, it it did man i was i was so happy after the first video once we did the first one i was already we did it i didn't give a fuck if it doesn't work, we're cool. We did it, bro. <laughs> and then um, then all of them kept going. It just it all worked out perfect, man. And um, I swear, if you're gonna check out any optimistic videos, yeah, fearless, that first one with Chip Fu, Afura, rock on all levels, and spit that shit with Keith Murray. It was a crazy little journey. Got back to Perth, and then one month later, Onyx were coming. So I got to open up for Onyx and shoot the video for Mad Rush with Onyx as well. So I got my bloody my bangers all out there in those that two months. It was, it was pretty crazy. I feel like it's once you open a door, all the other doors start to open. They all just kind of, you know, the hardest part is that that first door, and then you know they and obviously you know a lot of them grow up with each other, you know, in in the neighborhood or like they've heard each other's music, and like I just feel like once you know one you just have this labyrinth of different pathways that you can go down. And I think in terms of your albums, that is the true Testament. Like you just got to get the first one. I feel like that's how it is now as well. Like I just, cause they do all know each other, you know, it's always like, Oh, I did this track with this guy from Australia, Optimistic. Oh, I did that song with the dude from Optimistic. That's <laughs> just become that. I've got a network through New York like that now and New Jersey and everywhere else. It's kind of out there that, um, it has happened. I can't think of any other Aussie artist that's really done that kind of that style, which has been a bit of a double-edged sword for me. Being from Australia, I feel with my music, you know, because like I said, with that whole Aussie hip-hop scene, some people only want it to be that. And then when you're in New York, you're in America, it's like, oh, well, he's Australian, you know what I mean? It's kind of kind of stuck in the middle there. But at the same time, it's it's what I wanted to do and it's what I've done. And I think the ones that are the real hip hop heads and know their music and that's got that worldwide vibe, it's getting it, man. So I've done multiple interviews over in the States and um, a few different countries now, just people interested in who the fuck I am and how the fuck did you do it? You know, but I think it's just a bit of a blessing and a lot of, a lot of hard work, like you said, under the years of just being passionate about it and being true and just, yeah, man, it's all, it's all unfolded to, to the end, you know? So had a lot of fun with it man and still got a few little um cards up the sleeve of some new stuff to come out which will be very soon awesome and i can uh definitely tell you can't wait is there anyone that kind of surprised you obviously you've worked with a lot of people but is there anyone that kind of whether it's good or bad is there just someone who was like i look back and i really didn't expect that experience or expect them to be the way they were hmm I think, I think rock, I think it has, rock has to take that from Helter Skelter. Um, Chip Fu, very humble, but I expect he was a beautiful man. He actually 
stayed at my house and everything, man, when he flew over to shoot the video. So Chip flew very cool, very humble. Um, Onyx, I knew they were going to be wild. <laughs> they were wild <laughs> energy, same as Murray. Um, but the that safeness that I felt with Rock, because he's he's that dude that you don't want to cross as well, you know. He's got his side, but, you know, love is love and all good type of thing. But on the other side, you know, I wouldn't like to see what would happen if he thought I was, yeah, <laughs> different. So... <laughs> You know, the fact that he drove me into Brownsville, escorted me around, drove me out to Queens to shoot the video. You know, he he did all that, man. He got cheeks. He sorted that out, made it happen. And I didn't expect all that. And now I think he's the artist I've worked with the most out of all those guys because of that rapport and because of who he was. I've just, and I love his voice. He's got one of the most unique voices in hip hop. Um, him and Sticky Fingers, my two favorite voices of hip hop. Um so I've hit him up quite a few times and done songs. And like I said, the new video is about to drop with him in it as well. So he's even, you know, that kind of relationship has built over the years of working with him. And yeah, he definitely surprised me, man. And like I said, to have his partner, you know, have been taken from the world that month before and him still be that dude that he was, man, he was, he was a really cool dude. At the same time, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't want to fuck him over or be on the wrong side of that man at all, man. So, you know, yeah, definitely surprised me. Big rock. Well, what was the what was the impact of Sean P? You know, passing away. Did you feel that? Obviously, you know, really close. But did you kind of get an understanding of what that true impact was? Obviously, you know, one of the great hip hop artists. Um, that I think, you know, if you're into hip hop, you'll know who he is, but cause he's also got an incredibly unique voice and absolute bars. But did you get that feeling of like what his passing meant for those people and meant for hip hop? Yeah, man. Well, I guess only, only a secondary charge. Obviously I could never, ever grasp the full thing. No way would I ever say I would, but, um, yeah, man, the way, you know, Rocky's best friend and the way he was, he spoke about him a lot during the nights and stuff so you know losing your best friend and and you know duck down man you know the whole duck down the whole whole ogc smith and wesson boot camp all the boys man like yeah he played a major role to all them and you still see to this day they're always there's always a lot of posts about him there's always a big thing all the fans of of p they're you know um not having the full helter skelter team anymore of him and rock no, they were, they were awesome, man. So, yeah, definitely. I definitely felt a big difference there. And I held Skelter as one of them. They're my favourite boot camp crew and stuff. So, you know, to know that I can't get any more or hear any more music off him, that that's definitely a sad thing, you know. And no doubt for Rock and his boys, man, like that would have been heartbreaking for all of them to to lose a good friend. I think, you know, and, and I've spoken to people and they, they mentioned, you know, Sean P never having, you know, met him. But, you know, some of them obviously recorded with him as well, but, you know, apparently, you know, a fantastic person in terms of what he did for people and in terms of the experience that he gave people. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, one of the, one of the sad things in hip hop is that rappers pass away young um, for whatever reason. Um, you know, I mean, the list literally goes on and on and on and, you know, probably the most recent, you know, we mentioned Mac Miller, but, you know, Nipsey Hussle passed away recently. You know, you've got all of them, Tupac, Biggie, you know, in my opinion, Big Pun passed away young and one of the greatest MCs ever, Big L, 
you know, and the list goes on and on. But what do you think the impact of, you know, those deaths do for the culture, you know, long term? Mm, that's a that's a tough question, man. The long term impact on the culture. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it'll strengthen it in ways of, you know, how they you know, they become idolized then. They become this thing that stays forever and idolized and the classic dudes, like all those artists you named, basically. So they're always been seen as um the ones that were there, the the gods and the powerful ones that did it. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know how to affect it in the long term, to be honest. That's a very tough question, Aaron. Very tough well, one, man. I came up with it on the spot and I don't have an answer for it either. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a tough one. There's definitely effects. There's definitely some effects, no doubt. Um, but I guess also with them passing, okay, if we think about in a future thing with them passing, so someone who grows up, my kid grows up and he hears about this dude who was Sean P and he died and hip hop, blah, blah, or Biggie and Tupac, they got shot. And maybe it attracts a different interest and wants to know about their music more, wants to know about their life more. So it might attract more attention maybe, which would then get their music still kind of heard and pushed out. Maybe something like that in the future, I guess. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. And, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, potentially also, and I think you touched on it, but it gives them a legacy in a way. Uh, a conversation I had with one of my close friends who's into hip hop as well was like, you know, Biggie dropped two albums, Eminem's dropped countless. And when people say Biggie's better than M, it's like, well, he only dropped two albums. You can't compare them because if Biggie's career went on, you don't know what he could have been dropping later down the track so in a way you know all these legends their legacy is protected by the fact that you know they only released a couple of albums and everyone's like they went too soon and they wanted more whereas you know people who've been in the industry for a long time they don't have that same legacy in a way so it was an interesting point i personally disagree because you can only be judged on the music you put out um and that to me is what hip-hop is about but in a way, it does protect the legacy for a lot of big figures in hip hop. Definitely, definitely. Legacy, legacy, legacy. Um, yeah, and it's hard to comp compare that with someone who doesn't have the albums and someone who's still around. Um, yeah, leave while you're on top. <laughs> leave while you're on the top. <laughs> Get out. You know, yeah, it's, it's weird. I think there's a saying that people remember you when you pass more than they do when you're around. They, it's almost like, you know, they, they take you for granted in a way. Um, and I think it's, it's a lesson for all of us, especially as hip hop fans to be like, you know, appreciate what we have, appreciate the people that are around because, you know, I look forward into the future and at some point, all the artists that I've loved growing up, they will pass away and that will be sad for me as just a hip hop fan. And it's just one of these things, just appreciate them regardless of whether you love a project or, or not, they're still someone that has influenced you and still made a huge impact on your life and your career at the end of the day. Yeah. Fans can be so, so bitchy at times. They eh? get so <laughs> critical on someone. It's like, just let them make their music. Stop, stop pushing so much judgment on them. You know, some people do get like that. They're like, Oh, they've done this. And Oh, why they do that? And it's like, man, just, and like you said, they're alive and something I've seen a lot 
with the artists now that so many have passed. I've seen um, these guys in the States where it's all about, yeah, give the flowers now while they're still around. Make sure you're still giving your flowers now. Reach out to those artists who are doing it. Give them a fucking some love. Say what up. Say, man, do keep rocking what you're doing and, and give the flowers while they're around to receive them and to enjoy them instead of um, yeah, waiting until they're gone missing out but um something i wanted to plug i've got that here well i've got you here Please, it's go coming out soon it actually has been released digital but it was an album we had worked very hard on for a few years the protectors me and my mate jr and beat smith um actually the artwork designs the guy who does a lot of stuff for snoop dogg and that as well it's really cool um but the thing what happened with this one was was just before that covid pandemic <laughs> stuff when covid started kicking out but we'd worked years on it and we still released it early uh, 2020. But then we decided we tried to hold back. Then we went into March and dropped it. But we have officially now got the hard copy CDs, which we are signing up and getting autographed and everything. So anyway, that's something anyone in, interested in it that people probably wouldn't have heard of or a project I've worked on the side with my with my close friends, which is really cool. But you've got all, um, no, you're definitely not going to be able to see it. They got a dude on there, man. All they saw was my reflection in, yeah. in the back. <laughs> we got we got the legend in the house tonight. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, you know, this is crazy, man. Not many have heard it. You got Cellar Dwellers, uh, Sadat X, Onyx, KRS, um, Lords of the Underground. It's it's a pretty crazy album, man. Um, so I'm gonna start promoting that soon. So this is the earliest leak. No one's ever seen these yet. We literally just got them back. I've got a bunch of them sitting behind me now that I've got to sign up. If anyone's still actually collecting CDs these days, so I think some yeah, of some I of the did. people might even might not even know that music came in CDs. They, they're probably <laughs> you know it's all on Spotify, but you know the hip hop hustle getting the exclusives. Uh, you know that's what we do. Uh, to be honest, it's just me. I like to say we like it's a it's a big <laughs> operation, but <laughs> I actually yeah. only have one more question for you. It's probably. I've asked you a couple of tough ones, but this is the hardest one. It's the only one that I actually planned. So I lied to you at the beginning when I said I don't plan any. I only plan one, and I'd like to finish it off. Um, let's hope I get it right. I've said it so many times incorrectly that you would think by now I've learned my lesson. But uh, if you had to recommend one album, doesn't have to be hip-hop, cannot be your own, that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, what would it be? Oh, wow. Wow, 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 wow. They have to listen to it once in their life. Yeah. You're going to have to. It's such a tough question. I don't even have an answer, and I've asked this question so many times. It's, yeah, I don't know what it is about this question. It, personal stuff everybody's ready to talk about their lives you know really deep things and then all of a sudden this comes out and it's like silence i think well i'm just gonna go back to my childhood and i'm gonna say arrested developments first album man three years five months two days i think on that side it's more universal so it's more adaptable for everyone than saying hey listen to onyx's shut them down album because <laughs> um, that's a bit more straight and hard. But I just think speech has something special. Uh, he's such a beautiful soul and man. And, you know, that's the album that has everyday people, Tennessee, 
and all that on it. And, you know, they, they did some marvelous things for hip hop, man. I love seeing their shows, the live energy with the ladies, the dancers, uh, his new MCs he's got on board. But that album was a big, big deal for me as a kid. So if you want some good vibes, some good positive, some good positive hip hop, um, you know, with some live instrument style hip hop, Arrested Development, three years, five months, two days. Yeah, that, that album is definitely a must, a must have and something everybody should listen to. Whether you're into hip hop or not, you'll definitely find songs in there that you'll definitely gel to. Well, there you go. First Arrested Development plug on the show. So you're breaking new ground, which is good. And, uh, you know, first hip Australian hip-hop artist for me. Hopefully we can get a few more um, as well. But optimistic, appreciate you coming through. Um, you know, as I said at the beginning, you've, you, you've broken a lot of ground that, you know, I think a lot of Aussie artists and I'm sure a lot of people following your music never thought was possible for for Australians to do in terms of the genre, in terms of, you know, being connected to so many people that have impacted, you know, so many different lives. So I, I definitely appreciate you coming through and for people who haven't checked him out, please check him out on Spotify. Also check him out on uh, IG, get in touch, let him know if you want the CD, let him know as well. Cause uh, definitely, I think how many you got, you probably got heaps that, that you're clearing, but definitely make sure you get in touch. Cause uh, one of the Aussies who, who keeps making it happen and helps the industry and especially in Australia, keep going as well. Definitely, man, definitely. Like, going back to the plug, yep, CDs, vinyls, you name it, it's all there. Um, hit me up and get it out. Uh, check out the YouTubes if you can. Like I said, those videos are pretty cool. They're very unique and something different if it, no one's heard them. And Hip Hop Hustle, thank you both. Well, thank you, thank you Thank both. you both, thank, me and my other three personalities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally honored to be on, man. And thank you, Sick Flow, for the hookup, man. That that's that's magical, man. From uh, Australia to the States and back to Oz. That's really cool. That's now dope. we just gotta hope the borders open up soon and uh you can do a tour and we can do this in person. Cause uh out of all the yeah. guests, I think it's gonna be easiest for you to get down to Melbourne rather than uh the others. But yeah, I think that's that's the goal for us to get back to normality, I think. Yeah, it would, be, it would be really nice, man. I know it's going to open up soon. You know, they're pushing everything to go, so I think it's going to happen soon. And um, hopefully all goes fairly well anyway. We'll see. Definitely. I think it's all awesome. wait and see. But appreciate your time, man, as always. Thank you, brother. Take care, man. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.